Taking a look inside the lives and minds of some of the world's most inspiring thought leaders. I don't tend to live with regrets, but that is something that I do regret doing. People living inspiring lives and motivating others. I do know that there are people out there that think they don't have to deal with the things that I deal with, but I feel it at least once every day in some form or another. And now I'm like, ooh, this makes me feel alive. All right, that's a point that I need to kind of work on. Brought to you by Athletic Greens. This is the Inspiring Lives Podcast with Gary Birtwistle. I'm Gary Birtwistle and welcome to the Inspiring Lives Podcast, the show that looks inside the minds of some of the world's foremost thought leaders to discover their recipe for success. And this week, we have another great show for you. If you are new to the show, we hope you'll cruise back through the back catalogue because there is an amazing lineup of talent that we've had the privilege of interviewing here on Inspiring Lives. Wherever you are, welcome to the Inspiring Lives Podcast. Brought to you by the most complete supplement for a better you, Athletic Greens. Today on the show, we meet the co-hosts of the Almost 30 Podcasts, an iTunes Top 50 podcast. It's a global brand and community, and it's brought to life by two LA-based best friends, Krista Williams and Lindsay Simic. Now, Krista and Lindsay are known for their relatable unscripted conversations around wellness and being an entrepreneur, spirituality, and self-development. Krista and Lindsay have created what is truly an amazing global community where ideas are shared, lives are changed, and what started as a podcast you'll hear is now expanded into live events at locations right across the world. Krista and Lindsay, welcome to the Inspiring Lives podcast. Thank you. We're so excited to be here. We're so honored. We are huge fans of Athletic Greens, huge fan of you guys. So it's an honor and we are so glad that we got to connect today. There would be a lot of people who would know Almost 30. And I'm sure there are some who are now about to discover Almost 30. How do you describe the brand? Um, Yeah, the, the brand was born out of a time in our lives that was really confusing and chaotic. We were going from our 20s to our 30s. And, you know, we we hoped to create a space and a conversation and a community that, you know, was real, that was honest, that was curious, uh, that was um, supportive and loving, uh, hilarious, <laughs> and just made people feel less alone. Yeah. And I think we we started, you know, having the conversation about from the transition from our 20s to our 30s. And now we just realized that we really speak to navigating all transitions in your life. Krista, with, with, with the idea you had at the start, was there a point where you, the two of you actually came together and had a dream of a dream together of what you wanted to create? I would say no, to be completely honest. I think we we had the drive to create and the drive to explore and the drive to do. And now it has turned into a dream that we create on the go. You know, I think for so, I think it's really important to just to get lost in the work and to really do the work and to really create the need before, you know, the dream is there. But now we have the opportunity where we are now, three three years in, um, we're both working on this full time. We have a team. And now that we are at this place, we are afforded the luxury to create this dream as we're going. But when we first started, we were working full-time jobs, you know, for the first two years that we were building it. So we were so busy doing the work of creating the podcast, editing guests, all of the things that we really didn't have the opportunity to get dreamy about it. And, you know, being women in this space, being two girls that created a podcast and now have created it to expand outside of just being an audio show, there wasn't a template for us to look at as something we could aspire to. We didn't see many people doing podcasting full-time. We didn't see many people going on tour with podcasts. It wasn't as big as it is now. And it was really much more so in its infancy three years ago. So we didn't really have the opportunity to look at someone and be like, oh yeah, we want to do that. That looks like something that we could totally do. So we were just really being curious doing the work. And it's funny, if I take you back to the early days, one of the things you said was that when you started the podcast, you, Krista, the word you used was, I felt weak on my interviews. What did that mean? What was missing at that time? And how did you then course correct? Yeah, I just, nowadays I take the interviewing process so much more seriously than I did before. And the way that I was weak at the beginning was 
a sense of hurriedness with the conversation. So I would give a vocal um, message basically to my listener that, or to my person that I was interviewing that could have cut them short. So that's going, mm, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, mm, yeah, totally. Using those vocal fillers could be in my eyes as like, oh, I, I understand how you feel. I sympathize with you. I empathize with you. But it's also a way in which you really hurry the conversation. So I would do that quite a bit. I was just didn't feel completely comfortable in who I was. And I looked up to people like Tim Ferriss, Rich Roll, these really powerful interviewers that have a great sense of grounding and navigation of a conversation. And now I just take my language much more seriously. I take my vocabulary much more seriously. I take my listening much more seriously. And I really, really work at my craft because now this is my job. And it's really important that people just, people are only hearing me. So they're not able to see if I'm smiling or know that I'm really friendly or I'm looking at them or I'm giving them eye contact. So all they hear is my voice, my tone, my intention in my speech. So it's so important that I, you know, continually listen to myself every week and try and get better at it. If I could just continue that off-ramp with you, Krista, it's interesting you mentioned the word confidence because I heard you say that the success of almost 30 gave you confidence in yourself. Did you actually need that success of almost 30 of the, the podcast, the brand? I mean, had had the brand not been successful, does that mean you may have lacked confidence in yourself today? I love that question. And I think that I would have. I think I probably would have. I think when you have when you in my entire corporate career when i was in the working world and even when i was young i was always seeking purpose and i was always seeking to have um, an impact with what i was saying or what i was doing so i tried various outlets throughout you know my early career with blogging and and things like that but it never really worked so to be at this position now where i can look back at my career in the corporate world where i was doing events which we do now where i was um working on my like sales and partnership skills, which I do now. So there's various parts of my career that I can now look back at and look and understand why they make sense. And that gives me confidence in myself that although I was lost, my soul and I knew what I was doing. It didn't make sense at the time, but I knew what I was doing. And with the podcast, it does give me confidence because I'm quite often working in my zone of genius. And my zone of genius is strategy. My zone of genius is curiosity. My zone of genius is asking great questions. So I do on a daily basis, things that I'm really, really good at. And there are lots of parts of the business that I you know, step into that I'm not as good at, but I really try and focus on things that I'm good at. And I definitely think that Almost 30 has given me a huge amount of confidence. It's, you know, to have your, a dream that you didn't know realized is one of the most powerful things. Lindsay, the success of Almost 30, you said, gave you a purpose. How do you define that purpose today? And with all the people you're interacting in terms of your audience across the world, what what is your purpose and how important do you think it is for us to know what that purpose is? You know, if I think about it, I don't think I've always been connected to that definition of or need for a purpose. You know, if I think about myself in even in my early 20s, late teens, I I was never asked that question. I was never presented that option to like actually um, find a purpose. I, I felt as though the gifts I were I was given, I should use and I should use to become successful, period, the end. And that, you know, impacting people's lives wasn't really one of my first thoughts, to be completely honest. I, I hoped that whatever I created um, in terms of my art would be loved and people would be inspired by it. But I didn't think about you know, a purpose beyond that. And then when Almost 30 came into existence and the idea came through us, um, I really understood fully, like in my body, in my heart, and my soul, like what purpose was and and purpose for me feels so much outside of myself you know it is a getting out of the way it is a um an allowance of an idea of love of a vision uh to come through you and to trust 
you know, yourself during that process, you know, to trust that because this idea has, has found us that we have a responsibility to it and the community that's forming around it. And that emphasis taken off of me and onto a group of women in this case who are curious and wanting to learn more about themselves and other people and the world around them and how to just navigate it in a way that feels true to them. Um, I mean, yeah, that is, that is something new to me and something so beautiful and a layer of what we do that I just can't imagine living without now, you know? Uh, I forget the second part of that question, but um, that first part of that question did make me think because I really didn't begin life thinking about what my purpose was. No, it's really interesting, Lindsay, for you, because if you think back, you your previous career, life, work, was at SoulCycle, and you were doing a lot of classes. And in <laughs> fact, that's how you guys met, is mm-hmm. Krista wanting to get into SoulCycle and you being in the game. Yeah. And so you're leading classes. You are obviously doing well because you're doing a lot of classes and- when you think back to that period, you were doing, but probably not big. We interviewed Preetha G, who is seen to be kind of one of the modern day female philosophers uh, who runs O&O Academy in India with her husband, Krishna G. And she said, Gary, the, the, the problem today is we're too busy doing, we're not being. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering with what you just said, is that a soul cycle versus almost 30 where you were doing, you were busy and you were doing stuff, but you perhaps at that point, there wasn't a true purpose within yourself of what it was all about. Whereas now you are more being in amongst it and the doing is helping you be. Is that a bit deep or is that fair? (laughs) (laughs) That is definitely fair. Um, And it's something that I think Krista and I, I'll speak for myself, like, have been really interested in lately because this, this beautiful thing that is almost 30 is not slowing down anytime soon. It's expanding at a rapid rate. And um, we really want to be able to be more often so that we can um, take in everything that's, that's happening and really bear witness to uh how others receive us and how we receive ourselves and how this beautiful idea is just taking shape. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to go fast. It's distracting to go fast, to do a lot of things, to always be in the doing of it. So I think it's been a really uh, rewarding practice to say, hey, this thing is alive and breathing and well, and it won't die if we take a moment. And by a moment, I mean more than just a single moment, but to just be with it, you know? And I think there's so much value in that, especially for our generation um, that I just feel like we're going so, so fast to get there, to get there, to get there. And I don't know if, I don't know where there is to be completely honest. So the doing is, is funny because it's like, where are we going? You know, I guess it's to the next goal, but then there's another goal and then there's another goal. So what is, what is it actually you know, propelling you towards. And is that really the point? You know, is the being allowing for more happiness and joy in the moment? Like if people say, well, I just want to be happy. Like that's why I'm doing it. It's like, well, maybe being can get us there a bit sooner. It's interesting on that, Lindsay, because you said that in the early days for you guys, you were both trying too hard (laughs) and you had to- Are you reading my biography? (laughs) Are you reading my mind? Yeah. I think we're still trying too hard, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think we're out of that. Well, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very interesting conversation because uh, that's why I think the soul cycle versus almost 30, trying too hard, appreciating it. I think there are a lot of people who are in that boat who are either in one side of the boat or straddling the middle and not really sure what's right. How how were you trying too hard? How do you reconcile that? And where are you today with that? I think um, as it relates to my earlier life pursuits, you know, in acting, singing, dancing, being on Broadway, being a TV star, all of that, like I, I always felt... Like, I know I had talent. I knew I had work ethic. I knew I had discipline. 
but I just, I felt like there was a hole. I'm like, what is not matching up? And I just, I didn't, I could not reconcile, like my soul could not reconcile with the fact that I had to sell myself to someone in order for them to make a decision to give me a job, (laughs) which I know is how the world works. But I just, I didn't understand because it kind of like, it just suffocated my creativity, you know? And that's like something I probably have to work on anyway, but it's more so like, why were they the judge? Why was this single person or this, this panel of people, the judge of what I wanted to do and create and be. And so, um, that felt like trying too hard. That felt like pushing, that felt like forcing, that felt just not like myself. Um, and so, you know, I, I, along the way, I did a lot of things that were probably trying too hard and way too much, you know, whether it had to do with how I, how I projected my image online or to my friends or whatever. So, yeah, I I think there's always a part of you that's probably trying too hard. Yeah. I think (laughs) that's where I saw it. It completely relates to the not enough being too much doing. And I think when I think yeah. about us trying too hard, there have been periods and there still are periods where we are, are not being enough. You know, we're not easing into it, like accepting more love and, you know, be discouraging of fear, or I guess moving, moving more so away from fear. But to me, the trying too hard was always just doing too much rather than allowing things to happen. Question for you on identity. And there are podcasters now who've built their identity around their show. And I think it's fair to say that everything they do is built on the persona of being on that show. And then you guys have taken that and now you're doing stuff live and getting sellout crowds in in different parts of the world, which is super impressive. But when you walk on the stage, then people, you're, you're there as almost 30 and you're there as the stars of the show. Do you do you have trouble turning off that identity? Do you have trouble of actually when you're actually not together and you are in your alone time? Do you have trouble connecting to who you are as a person and not as the identity behind almost 30? This is for either of you. I feel like sometimes I have a hard time stepping into the identity of almost 30. Like people perceive me as something whenever they're listening as being X, Y, and Z. And sometimes I feel like, I'm resistant to that and I don't want to be that. And I, so sometimes I feel like I have a problem living up to whatever they're expecting of me. And this happened, you know, this is happening to me this week where we just came off of a long leg of tour. We have a bunch of interviews this week and I feel, I feel like I can't live up to the identity of Krista almost 30 this week because I'm exhausted and I just have some things going on that make it hard for me to live up to that identity. But I would say that there is a lot of me that has my identity within almost 30. And I think it lives more so in the business part of it where I am really enjoying um, creating. I'm really enjoying the creating and the strategy behind everything that we're doing. And I really do identify with the parts of me that really thrive in, you know, this environment that we've created for our team. And I wonder, you know, with identity and identifying yourself with something, it is a delicate balance because as with anything, change is inevitable. Change always happens. Things come and things go. So you have to be careful in that way. But in the entire process of creating Almost 30, I think we have evolved into the these representatives of what Almost 30 is. But I do think we are thoughtful about not completely identifying with it because then that is an opportunity for you to get you know, criticized and take it personally and really put yourself in a really vulnerable position where you are at the mercy of, you know, your audience. And I agree. And I just to speak to like the identity of Kristen Lindsay, almost 30, what's really cool about what we've been able to create is that we've been ourselves all along, you know? So yes, we're always changing and we have good days and bad days and days where we feel more quote unquote on than others. But, you know, the, the dismantling of who that is and coming home and sitting on the couch and being who I really am, isn't really a thing because we're able to show up to our live shows and meet our listeners and feel like we're just meeting our friends and be ourselves, you know, whether we're having a good day or a bad day. And, um, 
I just, I've never had that in my life. You know, I've always had to kind of, uh, read someone else's script and audition for a role. That's not me, but play another part. So it's really refreshing that we're able to do that. And what's cool is that, you know, people who listen and hear that they, they feel or see themselves in us in that way where they're like, ah, oh, I just want to be myself wherever I go, you know? So we try to be as transparent as possible where we are, like meeting ourselves where we are every day. Just on that, Lindsay, if I could ask you a question, um, you you do share a lot on your show and you share a lot in interviews like this about yourselves and you are very transparent. And one thing I've, I'm just curious about is you said there was a time in your life where you had a boyfriend and you played up on him. <laughs> that was- and, 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 and then you, and being a guy, right? So savage. And, and then you did it again. <laughs> oh, yeah. And what I'm really curious about that you said in your mind, in your mind, you said you'd always believe you didn't want to hurt people, but then you mm. did it. You did it a couple of times. Now, what I'm curious about, uh, particularly as a guy, but what I'm curious yes. about is that. <laughs> The dialogue in your mind, as you said on this interview, was, I believed I never wanted to hurt people. But you did it not just once, you then did it again. (laughs) And although you believed your dialogue was, I don't want to hurt people, you would have hurt this guy a lot, whoever that was. Yeah. Today, with those experiences, (laughs) does that help you make judgment calls, not just for relationships or with Krista, but also does it help... Is there something that sits inside you of wanting to be honest and transparent and doing the right thing for the people who love almost 30? Is there some, does it give you a moral compass in some way? (laughs) Yes. Um, I love that question, actually. And I've never been asked that in that way. Um, It was a, you know, I, I think about that time a lot. And not only because it, it's something that I would do differently because I definitely would. I don't tend to live with regrets, but that is something that I do regret doing. Should we give context for people? Too? Yeah. So for people listening, if you don't know, and I'm, you know, this isn't a special case where like, I'm sure people <laughs> have done this and been on the other side of, on the other side of this mainly, you know, um, I was in a five-year relationship and I thought I was going to marry him. I thought we were going to have kids, spend the rest of our lives together. And then, you know, we, so we graduated from college. He was two years ahead of me. Anyway, we were living in separate places and I was bartending at three different bars. My life was just very different. He was in business school and uh, temptation uh, took a hold in a way because I was not getting what I needed from the relationship. And instead of talking about it with him and expressing how I was feeling, I decided to go and get it elsewhere. And so I cheated on him, not just once, but it was like an affair. Um, and so he found out and it was, it was really hard because he took me back and, uh, it happened again. And, you know, I lost mainly respect for myself, which inevitably just, you're unable to respect most people in in that state. So what I really learned during that time too, was, you know, what it feels like to live out of alignment and in alignment. And that doesn't mean like to be a cheater and not a cheater. It, it means I was, there were areas of my life across the board that I was not living in alignment. I was drinking my face off. I was eating like shit. I was in friendships that did not serve me. I was really, really mean to myself and like just judging judging my body and my choices and what I was doing with my life. Um, and so no wonder that like all of that that I was doing to myself, I would hurt someone else. Hurt people hurt people, you know? And that's not an excuse. That's just an observation. And so now it's one, I'm allergic to lying now, which is really cool. It's like a great superpower to have because like I want to vomit anytime I <laughs> like if I want to tell a lie. It's like that feeling of just like, oh, I'd never, ever fucking want to do that again. Sorry, I hope I can curse on your show. Um, and so, yeah, it's and now I just now I do feel like I have a moral compass. I do think about him a lot. I do think about like that that decision and how it affected him, you know, and he's fine now. They're married. He's happy and all the things. But like I do think about how that could have 
could have affected him for a long time. And so I really do think about that in my everyday interactions. I want people to feel seen and loved and heard. I want to communicate how I'm feeling, despite the fact that it might make someone sad or disappointed. Like that to me is a value to be able to express myself clearly and honestly, because in the end, that's serving both of us, you know? So yeah, I mean, it definitely changed the way I feel about people, about myself and definitely sharpened my moral compass. There would be so many people listening who would relate to a story like that of their their past, Lindsay. I think that saying, you know, hurt people, hurt people is such a profound piece that comes from the story. And I, I, it's it takes a lot of courage to share stuff like that and be open about it. But Krista, if I talk about the history of the show and you guys sharing and openly sharing on the show and I guess to live audiences. You said in the early days you overshared. So I'm just curious, where's where's the sweet spot for you guys? Because I, I know there are people who are doing what you do on shows and they share stuff like that for reaction. They share stuff to try and be authentic, but it's actually to get listeners or to be talked about. It's not it's not like your story just then, Lindsay, where that was a truly authentic story that had a lot of gold within it. Where is that sweet spot, do you think, that you've learned of what or how to share or not overshare? I think we've definitely learned by doing, but it's always been something that within my life, I'm not, I don't share too much. People even very close to me don't know a lot about me. I'm always more curious about others than I am myself. So for me to even share on the podcast has been something completely new. Um, you know, cause it's, it's one of those things where we've learned recently, we went to this uh, retreat where it was very therapeutic and I actually never felt like I had the right to share because I didn't think my story was interesting. I didn't think my, my story was valid. So I spent most of my life really, um, trying to deflect and ask people questions and learn more about them, which is, you know, one of the most beautiful parts of my life. But it's been with the podcast that I have really given myself permission to share more about my story, my journey, all of that. And it's been really beautiful, but you can see it happening where people in podcasting or on Instagram are having a moment of oversharing. And that just feels like the biggest soul, like the most disrespect you could do to your soul ever to have this experience and then share it vulnerably with strangers and expect them to be safe for you, expect them to care, expect them to feed your your soul in a response that you think you deserve. It just feels like the most disrespectful thing that you could do on a soul level. But there was a period in time, you know, with in my life, my my mom, my parents are divorced, my mom got remarried. We have a very challenging relationship that I divulge and talk a lot about on the show. And she started to listen, you know? So in that instance, in case I was sharing something very vulnerable and open that I would share with only my closest friends, which that's what it feels like when we're recording. And I remember that we're on a live platform where hundreds of thousands of people hear every week. So I got, had a conversation with my mom. I was put in a place where she heard, she had her feelings hurt, et cetera. So you know, as I'm learning to share and divulge, I'm also learning that people are listening and that people have their own perspectives and opinions. So I need to be very careful if I'm going to be sharing something very openly that people are listening to. But that's all part of the process. And that's really, you know, my cross to bear as doing what I'm doing. I'm, I'm learning in real time with people and I... Um, you know, we'll never be in a place where I feel completely perfect about everything that I'm saying and doing. Just on that, on the parents part of it, do you recall how perhaps you were programmed from growing up by your parents? You were programmed into a particular belief, way of doing things that you've had to renegotiate in your own mind today? Yeah, I think that's, you know, a lot of the work that Lindsay and I have been doing right now is really understanding that and reprogramming it. And um, for me, that is a lot to um, my worthiness to, of, of speaking, of being heard. And really, I spent most of my childhood 
uh, with a parent that was had a lot of mental health issues. So there was a codependency in the way that I would always make sure that they were okay. I'd always try and adjust my personality, whether it was try and be funny, try and be interesting, try and be um, really, really nice to fit and make sure that I was seen and I was loved. So I'm really working on that within my life. And then there's another one that is related to um, my career. And that was really um, working with the programming that I had being from a small town in Ohio that you have to slave away at a job that you hate to make any money. And, you know, I was in the corporate world for eight years. I worked at various jobs really unhappily. And I really had to work on believing that I could make money in an aligned way, doing what I love. And right now I'm I'm living in that proof that we work with brands and people that we truly love and truly value. And we're able to make our living and support ourselves and our team um, in a way that feels really, really good. And I really didn't know that was possible. And I didn't believe that was possible until we were experiencing it and seeing it. So those are two examples of, of some things that I'm currently really, really working on. Lindsay, do you have the same sorts of programs that you're having to renegotiate today for you? Yeah. Um, some similar, some overlap, and um, a few that are that are different. Um, I think the first that comes to mind is uh, when I, I'm the oldest of four kids. My parents are still together, although you know I I don't look at their relationship and say to myself, "Wow." That is a relationship I want to model after. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but here's the thing, like, you know, what I've, what I've come to understand, I love my parents so much. Mm-hmm. What I've come to understand is like, they are here to learn exactly what they're supposed to learn in relationship and life between them and other people, them and themselves. And it's really none of my business. It's really not mine to fix, to save all the things. And so that's really helped me to understand my role in it all. However, I grew up feeling like I was to protect my siblings from any hurt or pain. I was to um, save my parents' relationship and make it better. And I was always the middleman. Um, And I'm sure a lot of people out there have felt this way. And so um, I was always trying to just make things better and, and manage emotions and manage people's experiences within the circumstances. So that's translated into me really feeling the need in my everyday to manage people's experiences. For example, like, you know, if if it's my birthday and I think about having a birthday get together, I kind of get stressed out because I'm like thinking about managing 20 people's experiences within like just a a casual gathering actually makes me really stressed. And, and it's like an irrational fear because I know they're all there and they love me, but, um, it's a weird thing. It's a very weird thing. And, and same with like romantic relationships, you know, not holding back and not waiting to express myself or be seen because I'm waiting for someone to give me the permission to do that because they're feeling ready. So, you know, I've, I've been told I've, I'm too much, I'm too this, I'm too that within relationships, too nice, too giving, too whatever, which sounds great, but a lot of people cannot receive it. Like it's, and, and, and to be frank, like my giving and my uh, too niceness was kind of like not me at times. Like yeah. it was me trying to, impress them and make them believe that I was good for them. Yeah. And so I was doing a disservice to myself to it. It wasn't just them not accepting me because I'm so nice and giving. It was me also not being myself. So um, all that to say, I'm really working on my, my own experience, you know, and what that really feels like. And, and if I need to make changes or shifts that I have the ability and confidence to do that, you know, so it's a practice every day, but, um, being in this, in this business and creating this life, it's just, I feel like I'm afforded opportunities every day to practice that with people that love me and support me and, and create a safe space for that. It sounds like Lindsay, you've done and continue to do a lot of thinking on your own inner world. And one of the things you made a comment about was your 
inner mantra is I know. Now, I don't know if that still is the same case, but it's something you said on a show. And I'm curious, is that still your inner mantra? And if it is, what do you know that you don't know that you'd like to know about? Yeah, it's one of my mantras for sure. It's one of my mantras because I feel like I've spent a lot of time looking outside of myself for the answers, reading books, asking people their opinion, what I should do in this situation or with my life or waiting for people to give me the permission or to say yes and all the things. So I, I always want to come to myself first and check in there and see if it just on a soul level feels good. If on a soul level, it, it's a green light and I can move forward. Um, so I just, I always, and, and it's funny because Krista mentioned a, re, a, a retreat that we went on recently that was intensely therapeutic. It was a group therapy for five days, basically. And we did this exercise in my small group therapy where, um, you know, someone was up for, you know, a session and the facilitator responded when this person said, you know, I just don't know. I don't know how I feel. I don't know the answer. And so he said, put your hand over your heart. Ask yourself the question again. She's like, I still don't know. He's like, okay, take one step back. Ask yourself the question again. And he said, after two steps, you always know. And, you know, there was a a theme kind of for the whole week that was like, you always know, you never don't know. And it was just so it's empowering to think about that. We always know. And I'm not talking about like, I know what a parabola is right now, but like, it's like, we just always have that intuitive feeling that we should follow first. Um, And yeah, there are a ton of things I don't know. There are a ton of things I don't know, but what's really cool is that I don't lie to myself now. Like I don't lie to myself and tell myself, I know I can handle it. Yeah, 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 I'm good. I'm... I always know too when I when I don't know things and that where I want to dive in and know more and where I don't. So um, I don't know if that answered your question, but no, it's good. It's um, it does. I think it's a, I think it's a lesson, you know. And and, the, and we do hear that the easy the easy way out is I don't know. Mm. And I think you've just given us a process, a nice process for for digging in, particularly when we are if we are fortunate enough to have children or working with somebody else who's going through a hard time, it's nice to have tools that we can utilise for ourselves or utilise with others to be of service. So I think that's that's gold. And I guess, Christy, if I can throw it across to you just based on that, the live events you're doing are fantastic. To take a, a podcast and turn it into live events in the coolest places in the world and it's working for you, which I think is terrific. You you are on stage together. You're spending time with an audience. From those live events, what what's the kind of the most, the biggest commonality you're hearing from your audience that you didn't expect to hear as terms of their lives, the, their struggles, what they're facing, where they're at in life? What's the Biggest commonality you didn't expect that you are hearing or seeing or feeling from your live audience? I didn't really expect for our audience, um, and I think this is based on my assumptions growing up in the Midwest, that there would be such a spiritual curiosity that they have and a deep desire for knowing who they are. And I think that I wondered that myself, but I guess I, in my entire life, but I guess I felt like I was alone and I didn't see people around me that were, um, curious about who the soul was within the body. And with the women that we meet, it is so deeply powerful that they're on this quest, you know, this extremely profound quest that is maybe the most important quest in your life to really figure out who they are. You know what I mean? And we'll see the turning in, we'll see the questioning, we'll see the the innate curiosity, and we'll also see the really light, the fun, the humor. You know, I think that's the best thing about our community and our audience is that we have the ability to go really, really deep. We talk about really deep, profound things, but then we also can be really light and we also can laugh and we also can make light of things. And I think I didn't know too that there was a bunch of women or women and men and our listeners that 
all had that same capacity to feel really intensely, but also to feel joy in that same sense. So it's given me hope for humanity, honestly, truly. And it's really just struck me at how there are people and we all as a collective are so curious about who we really are. It'd be fair to say there'd be people going, well, it's easy for you. You've got hundreds of thousands of downloads every month. You're both beautiful. You're fit, great backstories. You travel the world and people adore you. Yeah, it's different. It's different for me. You don't understand. And there are also people who would go, yeah, it's all fine. And I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy. Or if I tried that, I would get found out because I couldn't do that for whatever reason. How do you each approach your own imposter syndrome? Because we everybody has it. It's just how you go about dealing with it. I'd be curious, the journey you've taken us on during this show, and now you are on air, you are live. There's got to be moments where the darkness closes in and you start to question or you start to doubt yourself. How do you guys deal with that? Yeah, I, um, I would just say too, like, you're right. Everyone deals with the imposter syndrome. So I, you know, I, I do know that there are people out there that think, oh, wow, they, they don't have to deal with the things that I deal with. But I will tell you, I feel it at least once every day in some form or another. And it really, now I'm like, ooh, this makes me feel alive. All right, that's a point that I need to kind of work on. But I, you said it where it really helps me to put things into perspective when I learn about other people's process and how and how they've gotten to where they are because the most successful quote unquote people in the world deal with imposter syndrome, deal with insecurities and have dealt with them throughout the entire life of what they've built. Um, and so to know that really gives me confidence in my flaws. You know, I sometimes I think my flaws are uh, a disadvantage and I fall into a deep hole of comparison, but I, I really am empowered when I hear other people's stories. And the last thing I'll say about it is that we don't really have, I think Krista mentioned this earlier, we're not really following in the footsteps of anyone necessarily. We really do think of something and then do it and just figure it out along the way. And so um, it doesn't leave too much room for like, oh, wow, like I'm not like so-and-so, so how could I even do this? It really does give us a creative freedom, a sense of um, just... I don't know. Like it's wild. Like to be out there, just we're like, hey, should we go on tour? Yeah, we should go on tour. Okay, let's do it, and then plan it, and not really think too much about it. It's it's so that those moments give the next moment an idea, more confidence and foundation, and it just kind of builds on itself. That doesn't mean we haven't made mistakes along the way and don't have like moments of feeling like, oh God, like am I worthy of this? For sure. But thankfully we have each other and thankfully we are on a platform that allows us to share those moments. Yeah. And I think too, you know, when I hear if someone says, you know, it's easy for them, or on the other hand, if someone says, I'm not worthy of something like that, those are both essentially two sides of the same coin because they're both worthiness things. If someone is saying, you know, it's easy for them, then they in their mind haven't really completely understood that they're, they too are worthy of those things. And it's easy to deflect on someone else and use them as your excuse to not pursue whatever dream it is that you have, because, you know, we're all living in such different realities. And if we are just saying, you know, oh, I'm not worthy of that, then that seems like a lot of self-work that needs to be done. And I continue to do that on a daily basis. And I work on that. And then, you know, the easy for someone else to say in that situation, it's kind of like, if you lived your whole entire life like that, it's always going to be someone else. It's always going to be someone that has it easier um, than you. And you can always find that and you, and you will have the opportunity to find that. But within our business, we've done something that we have done well, not on purpose, but is we've taken really small steps. So our first event was a free event at our friend's backyard for 30 people. And we sat like on 
yoga mats outside. And then we did a free ride at Soul Cycle where it was literally free for people to come. So there's no barrier to entry. And we just continued to grow. And it's not like we are living this life that is amazing and awesome, but it's not as glamorous as I think people think. We're in the work every single day. We have a team that we're excited to support and to work with. And we're learning new skills about management and all these different things that we never thought that we were doing. But We've taken every small step to grow at a pace that we could handle and we could manage. And I think we never really saw, you know, like something as an easy out. Just on that, I've got a question for Lindsay. This goes back to something you mentioned at the start of the interview that I wrote down. You said that when you were acting, Broadway, television, modeling, that there was always the judge. You're always being judged by somebody. Do you feel mm. that judge today? And if you do, how do you deal with today's judge based on the show and live live performances and the socials, everything else? Do you still feel the judge at all? It's interesting because being, you know, I still I still write and act and sing. It's just kind of in a different context. And being out of that everyday auditions and everyday being quote unquote judged has given me perspective on exactly how that industry works. You know, it's it's not that I'm not uh, worthy of the role. Um, it's more so that I'm just not right for it. And I would have never gotten it anyway. And it comes down to very, very particular details. Of course, you have to have talent. Of course, of course you have to nail the audition, but there's also like, are you tall enough, short enough? Do you um, know the casting director? There's just so many factors. And I, and so anytime that I feel like I am being judged or uh, feeling the need to be picked, you know, as the right one, I, I just now have a really deep understanding of how it all works and a deep faith in the fact that like, if I'm right for it, if we're right for it, it's going to work out, you know? And, and, and I've been shown that time and time again in the life of almost 30 that, you know, we've been given the right opportunities and we've, we've sought out the right opportunities for us. Um, and so you know, we're not going to be for everyone. I'm not going to be for everyone. And and that's like, for me, been a really healthy realization. I think a lot of this, this whole imposter syndrome and the judgment, I think fits really well together to close this thing out. There was something you said at the very head of the show, the two words you used were, you're out to create a conversation with your community. And before I ask you where the hub is and where people should go to find out more about you, Facebook is, you've got this group on Facebook and it's very, very strong, very big. Being of the generation that's grown up with the digital world, does it, does it, is there a concern in the back of your mind that with things like Facebook, that people are sharing and talking to you, but it's kind of not yours? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, Something that just thinking, I'm sorry to to jump in, but I think about that a lot with with having our Facebook group. So for people that are listening, we have um, a Facebook group for the podcast that's private and um, there are deep, intense conversations that our community has on a daily basis. And then we also have 70 or so subgroups in people's cities all over the world so that women and men um, that are fans of Almost 30 and support the mission can connect where they are. And I do think about that a lot. And I think if we could go back, I would hope that, or we could create a a platform where that information and data could live because it does kind of scare me and bother me that all of that data and information is owned technically by Facebook. So when I think about people starting podcasts now, you know, if you're going to have a Facebook group or or not, it's, it's a great place since a lot of people are on it, but I kind of am rethinking it now because we do not own any of that information. It is a... A responsibility, you know, it's, it's, and it can be overwhelming at times. Granted, the group is, is 99.9% so positive and supportive and loving. And people have said, it's like the reason why they keep Facebook around, um, for them. Uh, but I, you, you know, we've, we've just thought about it a lot where it is a responsibility to create a space for that and, and monitor that, you know, because people are bringing their own experiences, their own, 
um, wounds with them to the table when they're having these conversations. And so it's, for me, it is that practice and like in, you know, trying to control people's experiences. Um, it's, it's just an interesting thing. I don't, I don't have like a, yes, I want it forever. No, I don't. And, or yes, this is my responsibility or not. It's just like, it is, uh, it can be a free for all. And so, you know, we just want to make sure that we're always promoting positivity and love and support, not coming from a place of fear or anything like that. And where, where would you send people, Lindsay or Krista, to, to find out more, join in this conversation, join your community? Where, where is the best place for people to go to find out more about you? Yeah. So we have a few touch points that we're super active on. Um, so Instagram at almost three zero podcast, almost 30 podcast. Um, we are super active on there. And then if you search on Facebook secret, almost 30 podcast group, you'll find our private Facebook group. Um, and then there are subgroups, a part of that too. So if there's a subgroup near you, where you live, you can join that as well. They meet up in person and then almost30podcast.com has, you know, all the things almost 30, including our tour dates, which are live now. Uh, and the tour is going to some pretty interesting places around the world. What, what, where are the next stops for you guys? <laughs> <laughs> um, we think they're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were just on our Midwest part. We were in Columbus, Nashville, Chicago, and now we're going to be in Philly, DC, and then we will go across to Australia for Melbourne and Sydney. Um, and then we will end up in LA and Miami and Miami. We did, you know, Texas, San Fran, New York, um, various cities in the U S we also did London, which was incredible. But, you know, in these cases too, it's another instance of us not really knowing how we people mm. would react or take it and just kind of doing. And it's been such a great learning experience and, and been so lovely to be on tour with our community. But you sold out in London too. So as much as you had questions in your mind about how it would go, it must have gone good because you did a number of shows and they sold out, right? Yeah. Yes. London, yeah. Was, London was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was so much more... It was just, it was incredible. We had the people there are awesome. A lot of them were transplants from the US or from mm. different countries that actually came in. So it was really great to see people and, you know, the show, the shows that were so good. Mm-hmm. It, it's such a credit to you in, in a crowded, complicated, overcommunicated world to create a brand so strong with so much loyalty from your listeners and your fans. It's an absolute credit to both of you of what you've done. I'm sure you've got incredible plans ahead for not only yourselves, but also for the brand. So it's been a real pleasure. Thank you guys for taking time out of your schedule to be with us on Inspiring Lives. It's been a real joy. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. I love your questions. I love the research and we're so grateful, you know, to be on the pod and welcome to Almost 30 Nation. So that's today's show. There are loads more incredible guests ahead in the weeks to come on the Inspiring Loves podcast. Check out all the show notes at athleticgreens.com. In the weeks ahead, we'll sit down with heaps more outstanding performers who will share their recipe for how we can all live our own inspiring lives. The Inspiring Lives podcast brought to you by Athletic Greens. New episodes out every other Monday morning. Tune in and subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or your favorite podcast platform.